Hello, welcome to episode 32 of Craftworks Dialogue. This is Brian. So glad to have you here. So in today's episode, I sit down with uh, lighting designer and artist Mark Figueredo. Mark is an artist who I met last year when I put on the Secret Series. One of the shows was the Secret Lighting Show. And Mark found out about it and we met and he did an amazing chandelier for that show. And we have become fast friends, and so it was a real natural fit for me to ask him to be one of the lighting artists for the Ground Light Sound collaborative art project that we're doing, that we've been working on all year. And so, yeah, we sat down in the kitchen in Cloud Tree a couple weeks ago and had a nice little talk. So let's go ahead and get on to that. Um, so the show is coming up on the 28th, which is coming up here pretty quick. So come out and check out what Mark and I were able to do together as well as our independent pieces from the project. All right, thanks so much, enjoy. So, uh, I'm sitting down with, with you, Mark, and no one else. <laughs> Mark Figueredo. Uh, I met you last year at Secret Lighting, which was really cool. You know, I had to put on this whole series of shows, got a grant last year from the city of Austin, and. Uh, put on this secret series and you ended up doing the secret lighting show and then also secret furniture too but you ended up being like a big part of the whole thing and we got to be friends yeah definitely i think mm. that's that was the main takeaway for me was meeting you and becoming friends and how did you hear about it how did it you... was uh it was through another friend of ours Corey, sort of sort of just a friend of a friend kind of thing yeah or actually with jonathan beale Oh, really? Yeah, it was Beal. Which you got to know through Corey? Well, Beal kind of like, Beal reached out to Corey because Bill wanted to do this lighting thing. And then, of course, I got looped into that because Corey was working with me at the time. But so uh, it was just a chain of, of you know, events yeah. of like, oh, I know this person. I know that person. Yeah. And eventually I found myself over here and talking to you. And Yeah, I remember. I'll never forget the day you pulled up. It was like I was working over there in that other part of the gallery and... Uh, it's like, oh, who's this interesting guy? And yeah, I thought the same thing. You're like, I remember you made me feel really good because you were like, I don't know what true whether this is true or not. You seemed like uh, impressed with the gallery and my, the stuff that was going on here, like right out of the gate. And you're like, oh, I definitely want to be a part of this because if it's anything like this, you said something to that extent, yeah, and it made me feel like, no, okay, I'd, good, man. I, my, I guess my shit's okay. No, I totally. Um, <laughs> resonated resonated with everything you're doing and was attracted to the energy here your energy and it just seemed like it just seemed like a really interesting thing to be a part of and um, I just I just sort of found myself here and didn't know how but I mean not really but it's just one of those things that happened, you know. Yeah. You, you don't you don't really plan for it, but suddenly there's a few of things that things things that fall into place and connections are made, and then suddenly you're headed down this path that you had no idea even existed. Yeah. And and that's that's a really interesting part of the process. And I think um, I think that 
happens to creative people in general, the way we all respond to one another, because I think for us, well, for me, my creative process is very emotional. And I think most people that, that work with their creativity have to pull it out of somewhere. And yeah. there is a lot of emotion attached to, you know, just the whole process of I'm doing this thing, you know, am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Is anybody going to like it? You know, there's all <laughs> these things that come along it's with it. It's very that. fruitful. Yeah, well, very, it just exposes, fertile, it exposes a lot of different things about yourself. Yeah. And so I think what I'm trying to get to is I think because we have that commonality between us as artists, as creative people, there's sort of this intuitive sense or we're drawn to each other yeah. in, this, in this way, in this empathetic way, perhaps, you know? Right. And it doesn't matter what kind of medium it is. The, all of anybody that creates anything, whether it's food or, or gardening or, you know, anything where they're working with their hands or they have an energy towards something that they're creating from nothing and they're putting their energy in, you know, and it's your livelihood, sweat and blood. I mean, even if it's not your livelihood, I mean, it, it seems, I mean, I think the, I think the energy is still there, even if you're not necessarily supporting yourself doing it because it still involves all those aspects of that process. Yeah. But I think when you do work for yourself or when you are self-supporting through that avenue, it is a little, it can be maybe a little more intense <laughs> because it's like, okay, I'm rolling the dice here. Right. And I really have to pull this off or, you know, it just becomes a completely different thing because suddenly you're vulnerable. You're really vulnerable. Yeah. And I uh, think one thing that you were saying about doing the show and choosing to do it and what comes out of it, I think I've gotten so much, I've learned so much in the last, I want to say like five to seven years of my life about how much value there is in just shaking shit up and doing things and like, I'm going to go live in Colorado for a summer. I'm going to go do this show across the country. I'm going to screw it. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to apply for this grant. I'm going to open a gallery, whatever. All this mm -hmm. scary kind of stuff that you just decide to do that's sort of outside of, it's not, I don't know, maybe it does kind of unfold or come at you in a way that's organic and that you, oh, wow, cool, I'm going to do this thing. But sometimes you really just have to go for these things and, oh, my God, so much. Even if they don't go, quote, unquote, go well financially or whatever, there's all this cool shit that happens. Yeah, I've had, like, I've, I've had so many amazing experiences in the last five to seven years um, after doing scary shit or, or not even scary, but just sort of somewhat risky or hard or difficult. Yeah, the challenges. And it's just either stirred the pot of community in a way that's beautiful where I've met a bunch of awesome people that I now consider good friends. I learned something. Um, you know, it just thickened my uh, creative skin in a way. I've... Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I'm not as afraid to do other things. Right. Uh, I've gotten to travel. I've gotten to meet really cool people. It's just all this awesome stuff's come out of all of, all of it. Like, I just, there's no downside to me to doing those things. Uh, there's only, and maybe that's just because I'm pretty positive and I want to see all the silver linings, but um, I don't know. I just Well, have, that's helpful. But, I, you know, I'm just listening to what you're saying the way I'm responding to it like is... Like, if you hadn't moved to Austin 
and you were still back in New York well, I have a very two years ago. Story about the path. Think how different your path would have been. Like, well, yeah, I mean, my path. I I can't even go into that. But what I wanted to say <laughs> was was that what I'm hearing about what I'm hearing from what you're saying about how you have lived this life that has led you in different directions and all the different things that have come about it. it it's very much the process of making something out of nothing. Yeah. It's the creative process in itself. Right. And your life represents that. And, and I've done that too. I've moved across the country a few times and, and I've always stepped up to a challenge to just to see what would happen, mm-hmm. you know, with the, I guess the interest or the, inspiration of like well what's next and this chapter of my life really now is starting to unfold with that same kind of enthusiasm of of what's next you know yeah so yeah every place I've lived I feel like have been very much the same sort of process of being inspired to do something make that move take that challenge do that show or meet those people or whatever it is and then there usually is a bunch of work and energy that goes into it that's a challenge. What do you do with the voice of fear that crops up in the midst of those things? Well, it's interesting. I, I've been trying to process that more and more. As I get older, it seems to, it seems to be the, that voice kind of has a little bit more... It's sort of louder in a way. Really? It seems that way. Like wow. I guess I when I was younger. Opposite. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to put that in. This the is exactly what Chris Cogburn said, though. Well, earlier. when I was younger, I was just more fearless about taking risks. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, even even you know, really, as a as a younger man or a teenager, just in sports, you know, not being afraid of like breaking an arm or something, yeah. going down a hill at a, you know crazy amount of speed. Chris said he was more. He's more uh, aware of the responsibility he has to others, like in all these relationships. Yes. When you were younger, you were like, eh, whatever, were I can spirit. just do mm-hmm. something different. But you yeah. know, it's interesting. But and, and maybe that's part of the ego evolving. Maybe there's maybe in the shedding of the ego that I mean, I was I've always been driven by my ego for better or worse. I think it's. It's been the thing that's enabled me to achieve some really high goals, and it's also been the thing that's you know burned down the village. But uh, <laughs> but so I think as let's I'm get getting, into that. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think get, as I get older and I start to recognize, I think what it is, I'm actually living with more of myself, my authentic self, and and in yeah. that understanding of that authentic self, I'm realizing that there is fear is a part of me. There's a shadow. Right. And I'm not hiding from when it. When you were all ego. When I was all ego, I was all You also, actually were probably terrified. Yeah. But you were less aware of it. Well, exactly. And I, so you were covered up by all this other bullshit. Exactly. I was either working it away or drinking it away or smoking it away or doing all the things that we do mm-hmm. to make it go away. And I don't, I don't do anything to make it go away now. I'm just trying to live a different way. Yeah. So I'm recognizing that, oh, that fucking thing is still here. (laughs) And it sort of surprises me from time to time. But I'm having, you know, I'm open to having the dialogue about it and, and, you know, becoming comfortable with that so that it doesn't have a greater effect on my ability. It doesn't stop me. Right. That's been the, the thing I've been trying to work through is recognizing that I mean, we all have fear. I mean, you, every single one of us 
the, the guys that do the most insane, you know, big wave surfers or these guys that jump out with jump out of airplanes with these, you know, parasailing suits, they all have fear, but they don't allow it to stop them from doing what they would love to do. Yeah. And it's, I think it's in that moment where you're realizing, well, this is really what I want to do that the fear becomes secondary. Yeah. And, um, sometimes I, I just, I can't, it's turning into less, this is what I want to do. It's like, this is kind of what I have to do. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know I if think, I, I mean, not that I have, well, I, yeah, I don't I want to take away my agency, but certain things like just feel like, I mean, I got to do this. Well, we've gone down the path so far. There's no turning back. Yeah, or right. just something also just intuitively feels like this is the right thing to do. I'm supposed to do Well, this. that's like the, the gallery expansion is right. very much that way. Like I'm like, I, I cannot not do this. Like that is absolutely not a choice. Right. Like it would be crazy, as crazy as it may seem to some people to like take a risk and do this thing that I can't afford and all this. It's the actually opposite in my mind. Like it would be utterly insane for me not to do it. I would regret it the rest of my life. Exactly. And so I feel like I'm totally in some flow state where this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, no, that's, that is it. You are in a flow state. You're listening to that intuitive side that's guiding you. The problem I think we all face is we live outside of our intuitive state and, and we let convention and logic and ego turn us away from that voice. Yeah. And... You know, that's a that's a real problem. That's what causes us, I think, at the end of life to have those regrets. Mm-hmm. I should have done this. I should have done that. Yeah. You know, and fear. And f- those guys are buddies. The, the fear and you know, all of the things outside of yourself that help you to guide you or force you to do something that you know you really want, or force you to do something other than what you really want to do, out of having to pay a bill or you know, try to live a certain way. Yeah. Th- that to me, that's going like we were talking about earlier, going against the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. If you're f- in the flow and you're following it and you're listening to it, it's not going to, it's not to say that it's going to be like a completely smooth ride, but cause there's always bumps in the road, but the momentum, if you're able to tap into it, carries you mm-hmm. pretty far. Totally. And that's, and that's really probably the, been the most interesting thing about this new chapter in my life, having come from an older studio space and my work had sort of reached, I sort of, I sort of um, plateaued uh, on a lot of different levels. And so coming here in some ways has helped me to see, and actually even meeting you has helped me to see sides of myself that I couldn't see before you know i mean yeah. you, you really helped me to recognize like wow you have a pretty cool studio space and yeah look at your work look what you're doing and i was i was at a point where i was like yeah i'm not right. sure where i am anymore right you know i'm i'm sort of like in that stage of just questioning everything right and right. um for the record you just moved here from new york what two years ago i'm almost at three in september three. okay It'll be three years so and that's interesting and actually. you're your name is Mark Figueredo. You're a lighting designer and artist that moved here from New York. And I've been wanting to do this with you ever since I've gotten to know you. But we're, our, we're also, um, this is sort of a pseudo special edition of my dialogues project that I'm doing as a sort of a compendium, if that's the right word, um, to the Ground Light Sound project, which you're in 
you're one of my uh, collaborators mm -hmm. and you are the fifth of six so i've got one more to do alejandra right. is my last one but i've interviewed everybody in the project which is really fun and then at the end after i finish with alejandra as we get close and i'm like totally nuts and i'm almost burnt out like and i'm really crispy like two weeks before <laughs> the show um <laughs> The girl who helps me edit these mm -hmm. is going to interview me ah. about what it was like to be in the project. You're right. Okay. So that's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, it'll that be fun. Be interesting. She's really looking forward to it. And uh, it'll be, uh, I just it was like, how can I not do this? Again, like, right. this no, is like, I already have the setup for it. I need, I really, I have let this thing really fall off in the last couple of years. I've been so busy with Cloud Tree, but I still love doing these. They're super fun. Most people who ever listen to it, if they actually take the time, are like, wow, that was actually really good. You're a really good interviewer. And, you know, they like them. I had a girl come up to me in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and she's like, are you Brian? Do you, do you do that podcast? She's like, it gives me the warm fuzzies. And I was just like, bring it in. I just like <laughs> almost teared up. I was like, give me a hug. Right. I was like, thanks. You just made my day. It was so awesome. And like, that was kind of when I had just started it. And it's just fun. I love doing it. And I like to think of it as a historical document for all the interesting artists I meet. And I can take it around the country. And I have. I've interviewed people everywhere. And it's just cool. And I'm like, what? I don't care if it's a popular podcast or not. It's just this fun thing to have attached to my website and just slowly but surely build them up. But I did kind of let it. I hadn't. Last year, I think I did two of them or something, where before I was trying to do like one every two months or one every month or something when I first started. But this was the perfect, uh, this was like leverage to do a, more of them and get it kind right, of going again. Right. And me and uh, Emmy Larson, who helps me edit them, she's super into it. And we're both getting our mojo on and I feel like we're getting our, like I feel like this is going to launch me into doing more of them the rest of the year and into next year and kind of getting back on the ball with it because... This place, Cloudtree, will be more settled. I just, once I get past this gallery space getting expanded, I feel like I'm going to be busy, but it won't be, I'm hoping to monetize that more and kind of chill out a little bit and, mm -hmm. and not be doing grants and all these shows. And I don't know, I'm right. probably, I think I, I'm looking forward to things being a little calmer and doing more of these, you know? So Yeah, I think once you build it, they will come. Yeah, totally. I'm, yeah. I just told Dylan the other day, um, like, I don't know where my career is heading or what I'm going to do. I mean, it's been, like, in many ways the best year of my career. Uh, and that's, you know, after being on my own for 16-plus years and, you know, doing it even a couple of years before that on the side, um, that uh, I don't know if I can keep this thing going and just keep polishing this gem, so to speak, um, if you know 10 years down the road, you, I want to look back and just be, oh man, yeah, like I just got to facilitate a lot of great art and artists and people and help them and have let them exhibit for good prices. And we had so much fun and just this, I want this to be a hub and a place that like a lot of cool stuff that can be, a, I want to become a facilitator for stuff here right. in a way that works for people. Like that, that I want that to become a real big role in my life. Like that will be something that will just feel like I want to keep making myself, but I also just want to like, I feel like in a way, Richard, uh, my landlord, I just feel so fortunate. He's such a, a, a blessing and so cool and been such a great, 
like I feel like I need to pay it forward a little bit. Like, wow, I need to, I need oh, to yeah. share this with other people. No, definitely. I think, you know, I think about that a lot too, um, with my work, um, how it can, as I grow and as it grows and how I can hopefully continue to share in the abundance Yeah. and, and use it to help other people and, and pay it forward and, and really give energy to that creative side on all, you know, outside of myself. I think that's yeah. really an interesting part of it. And I think, again, that kind of goes back to just that. I think that's what we're all part of why we're all connected or we're drawn to each other. Yeah. Is that wanting to express that and also share, share in it because there's a, they're just this sort of, we all get it. All of us that make things, Mm-hmm. We all have the vision or the technical side or, you know, whatever it is, even if we're not versed in what the other person's doing, we have some kind of understanding of what it's like. But do you think that was part of your life growing up or is that something you more got in tune with as you aged? I definitely, it definitely is a natural ability. Was there creativity in your, like, where were you born? I was born in Redlands, California, which is this little town sort of an orange grove community in northern or no in southern california it's like um i think about 60 miles outside of la uh-huh. out in the middle of nowhere um, but i didn't i never lived there but um where did you grow up i grew up in la all over the san gabriel valley and la county proper were your parents creative at all Yes, my everyone in my family is creative. My father was an interior designer and also a painter, and he went to Otis. He he was always really he was the one that was the most artistic. Actually, I think wow. I get both my sister and I get a lot of our creative juices from him. Um, and my sister Patty, she um, also is an interior designer, but worked with clay and photography. Um, and now my mom, even later in life, she, she never really exercised her creativity when I was growing up. Um, but now she's very much into painting and paper craft. Mm -hmm. She's, she's discovering a side of herself now that she's, I think now that she's following her intuition a little more, (laughs) you know, she's at a place where she can relax a little, I think about it. Right. Whereas before she was, um, single mother taking care of me and I think that really informed a lot of the decisions that she made yeah in her life and consequently a lot of the um things that she didn't allow for herself yeah did you ever go to school at all no I never went to art school or even regular like I didn't I didn't go to college yeah no I didn't either, and sometimes I, I shared, well me and school. Chris Cogburn talked about that because he didn't, and I was talking about, um, yeah, you know, like, I still a little, I have a little stigma every once in a while, like, I feel a little uh, self-conscious about that or yeah, insecure. I, like. I have that, too, a little bit, you know, I, I, um, I dropped out, and I, I did take care of my GED, but I just, I wasn't really into school, mm-hmm. and... Um, 
the classes that I was interested in were art classes and architectural classes and shop classes, of course. So the things, that, I mean, those were still classes that were available when we went to school back in the day, yeah. right? All those cool classes. Yeah. And that really was like the main thing that I liked about school. And so once those things, once I wasn't in those classes and I just was in a different place, I was, I was very untamed at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it I don't know I think for me that experience I don't regret anything it's you know every aspect of my life growing up and all the challenges that that my mother and I had moving around I, mean, I, I went to like a different school almost every year yeah and that really helped me to get used to the idea of change and having to make new friends. Yeah. And I think that's part of why for me to move across the country or take these big moves every so often in my life, I wasn't afraid to do it. Right. Because I got this, you know, I just became used to moving around. Were you, this uh, father who was a painter and an artist, do you, uh, I know a little bit about y'all's relationship, but was, uh, would you say you're, you're, uh, do, were, were you, was he around at all? Well, my or? parents were divorced yeah. when I was one. Did you get to see him? Did you no, have much of a relationship I, I, with him? It's interesting that I have the creative side that I do because I didn't actually get it from being with him. Yeah. Uh, or my sister for that matter. Growing up, we were all separated. Um, but actually, I think my sister, in my teens, when my sister came back into my life, she was actually the first person that really kind of opened my eyes to design. And um, and even her boyfriend at the time, Greg, he was an electrician, and that was my first job. So in high school, I was always working over Christmas. Is that where you learned electrical that's from where, him? Yeah, that's exactly where I learned. That was the beginning for me. I was working with him as a teenager. And the greatest thing about that was we worked on these really fancy homes in Beverly Hills and Bel Air. So I was exposed to a completely different element. Yeah. And, and my sister actually um, added to that. She was working in the design world at the time, and, and I would often work with her and, or spend time with her and her at her work. Yeah go to parties and do different things. So she really was, she was really the person that opened up that whole world to me that I never really saw before. I mean, as a kid, I always, I was always drawing, mm -hmm. um, constantly drawing and kind of making things like crafty things. Yeah. Um, but always drawing. That was the main thing. So, but yeah, like my sister really opened the door for me. That was the first that was the first relationship that really sort of started to show me that there's this thing out there called art and design and Yeah. And beautiful. How much older is she than you? She's six years older. Was she more connected to your father? Yeah, she and she my father my mother and father divorced. I stayed with my mother. She was my sister was with us for a little while and then, then she went to live with my father. And then all, and then everyone. And was then you ended up having a more separated. of a relationship with him later, like in your twenties. Or in my twenties, I tried to get to know my father. Yeah. Uh, and really, tried to get to know my sister too, because I didn't know her. And that was when I made my first big move. I moved from 
Los Angeles to Santa Fe. Right. To live with them. I and mean, that's where you started studying electrical stuff with your brother. I was already an electrician by then because I had started in the trade when I was 15 years old. When I got out of school, I was able to get an apprenticeship job and, uh-huh. and I was living on my own. And I had already had time in the trade, so I was already making pretty good money. So right. it sort of started. So then, yeah, I, I basically moved from L.A. to Santa Fe to continue to work How on... How old were you when you moved to Santa Fe? I was 21. And the, and the interesting thing about that, too, is in Santa Fe, I was still an electrician. Um, but Santa Fe being an art destination, um, I started to get involved with with lighting artwork for the company that I worked for. Right. So I, I, it's interesting how my life, all the doors that open seem to open in the direction of lighting at some point. Like even as right. an electrician in my teenage years, we were doing a lot of work in homes that required special lighting. We were also doing a lot of landscape lighting. Yeah. So we were lighting things, you know, trees and landscapes at night, playing, playing yeah. in the dark with lights. Um, so my work always involved lighting, yeah, lighting artwork in these fancy homes. Um, and, and that continued on in Santa Fe. I actually took over, a, um, before I started my own company there, I was working for another electrical contracting company and I managed this lighting division. So basically I was a light bulb salesman. Um, basically, <laughs> but part of the service that I provided for a lot of the businesses in Man, town. You're so, I just love that about you, Mark. You're just so honest and humble. Well, you yeah, from, that's, I mean, that's I managed I the lighting division too. Okay. I was just a light bulb salesman. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing about it was, and why it became successful is uh, there were a lot of art galleries in Santa Fe and really part of my service was to sell them light bulbs, but I also would install them. And so in the summers, I became quite busy because every time there was a new show that was hung, I would get calls to come in and readjust the lighting throughout the space. And I started lighting artwork. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun for me to really use lighting, you know, as a... How old were you then? I was still 22 or 3. Wow. it's pretty young. I started, I started early. Did you ever get like? Are you? Did you ever get your licensing as an electrician? Yes, I had a con. I had my contractor's license at 23, and the funny thing about that was my company in Santa Fe was called Anasazi Electric, uh-huh. which which means the the old ancient ones. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would show up, and they're like, "Wait, are you the electrician?" <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I was this 23 year old, yeah, younger guy, but um, but so I lar- I started lighting artwork. And learning a lot about light bulbs and the technology of light bulbs and all the specification aspect of them, the color temperature and color rendering, you know, what makes quality light. So it was interesting that I started on in a practical side of the electrical of, of putting things together and learning how it all worked, but then move maneuvered into lighting and understanding how light bulbs work and how the different products could do different things. Mm-hmm. Started with that in the landscape because light, landscape lighting is a lot different than uh, lighting homes. Right. Because you're lighting things that are green or colored. And you started working for somebody in Santa Fe also, like a lighting designer of sorts there? Well, the interesting thing about Santa Fe 
in sort of the next chapter of my life was as a, while I was an electrician or an electrical contractor, um, I met a woman, a designer from LA on a project that we were involved in together. And through the course of the project, we became friends. And at the end of the project, she basically offered me a job. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I was sort of tired of Santa Fe and been there seven years and decided I wanted to move back to LA, which is where she was. Uh, Celeste Ganey was the person and she became my mentor and really taught me about lighting design from the architectural standpoint of how to use the fixtures. I already had an understanding of the light source right. and how to make it work, but she actually showed me the creative side of what you can do with lighting yeah. and how you can create an environment and layering and even guide, even create a system that draws people into a space and, and orchestrates how they move. Like in a, re in a retail setting, you can actually control a traffic pattern with visual yeah. reference. It's amazing. I was actually just re-listening to um, my talk with Adele and uh, um, who's the other lighting artist in this project. And uh, I kind of totally forgot that we had this really interesting part where I was just um, talking about the and that profound nature of lighting within architecture and how it's like it can change the power it has. I mean, like you can walk into a room and aesthetics, the furniture can maybe make you feel a certain way, but man, you can really, it really does tie an, it together. It's an amazing, and uh, I think it really medium. It's amazingly power. It's very subtle in a way. And yet it's so powerful, right? It can be, I think if it's done well, you don't notice it. You're not really sure why it feels good right. to be in the space. I think any good designs that way though. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I mean, we are all, all those of us that are designers and artists have a very critical eye and we're trained to see the things that aren't quite right, yeah. especially the ones that are OCD like myself. <laughs> but so I think that's really the informing element is like, if you're in a space and you feel good, but you can't identify why yeah. it's because it's done well. Yeah. And lighting is definitely something that is, you would definitely read it that way. You feel that way. Yeah. So, um, and it's also just like an, such an important, it's such a fascinating, uh, medium to work within because, um, like I work with, I would say wood and resin, but I just say wood cause I'm primarily a woodworker and it's this organic substance that I can like manipulate and break up. And it's very like, it's like kind of like the same with clay you know, it's just like critically, I mean, it's a, it's a real material, man. Yeah, you can tactile. feel it and tactile, but yeah. like light is like this, um, crazy, uh, yeah, ephemeral right. thing that right. like life that could not exist without, <laughs> like, it's like what it's up there with water and air, <laughs> you know, it's like too, super important. Right. It's, it is. And it's, and it's all perception too, you know, um, we don't actually see color. Our eyes we interpret what we see. Exactly. And that's the thing that's so crazy about it. And now it. this is where the conversation's going to get fun. Well, <laughs> I, I can't go into too much of that, but... <laughs> no, why not? Well, that's I, don't, I don't know enough about it, but but uh, <laughs> back to um, what I do know about it is that... <laughs> you study with her. Lighting is really important. And, and so Celeste was my f first major mentor... Uh, just incredibly lucky to have How much met. older was she than you? 
She's, I think she's like 10 years older than me, uh-huh. maybe a little more. We're both Aquarians, so we had that going for us. Are you still friends with her? Yeah, we're still friends. She, um, we've had more than one carnation of life together. I started my, my f- working with her, apprenticeship with her in L.A., and then she and her partner decided they were ready to change gears, and they moved to New York. So at that point, after being with Celeste three years, learning all I could learn, uh, doing the architectural lighting design, mm-hmm. I, I was also ready for a change because I had missed working with my hands. And I was just really sort of tired, not really tired, but antsy sitting at a desk all day. Yeah. It wasn't really my thing. You weren't making lights with her then. You were just doing Well, what, it, what ended up happening is we would develop these lighting systems for buildings or commercial projects and we did a lot of restaurant work and so within some of these restaurant projects we would often develop custom lighting fixtures for these specific locations so we spent a lot of time developing lighting and then we worked with this other lighting designer in San Francisco in the Bay Area Michael McEwen whom I also met in Santa Fe Uh, when I met Celeste. Mm -hmm. Celeste and I were on the project. Celeste had a custom fixture that she developed for the restaurant that we were both working on. Mm -hmm. And Michael made it. In Santa Fe? He brought it to Santa Fe and installed it. Where? It was called the A-Bar. It was actually a bar. It was a restaurant and a cigar bar, sort of lounge. But that's where the three of us met. And that's where everything really changed in my life the direction of my life was majorly impacted mm-hmm. more than any other time in my life that was the the biggest shift um so after working with celeste and and getting to know michael and then celeste and elise were ready to move to new york i decided to move to the bay area to work with michael Mm-hmm. making life fixtures making and actually making some of the fixtures that we had designed on the restaurant projects that were going and so I basically went that was my art school experience was working with Michael he was the next major mentor in my life and he shared with me everything that he n- knew and knows and continues to do so with me in our current relationship um, but I learned a lot from him I learned Oh, just tons of stuff. I learned how to to work with glass and how to bend glass, and we developed we built the kilns together, and we just both had a really interesting collaborative experience with one another, and we fed each other. We both had that that energy that I talked about earlier that yeah. you know we all share, and he and I really resonated. And so, and same with Celeste and I, we really we really both had this frequency that we shared and amplified with each other yeah and she really helped me to see a part of myself that i didn't recognize i had yeah that's cool and that was a major what an important person that's so beautiful oh absolutely she's she really changed my life tremendously yeah well celeste if you're out there she is i love you celeste (laughs) (laughs) so but you're in your current uh yeah so you that's one thing that i think is super cool about like going up to your studio now here in austin you have like you do have a kiln, if I'm not. I mistaken. still work. Yes, I make a lot of lighting that involves glass, 
and so some of it is glass elements. You don't, you're bone. not a glass blower. I'm not a glass blower. I've worked with glass blowers for 20 years, so I know a lot of their process, but I don't actually do it. Right. I, but how do you form or you like cut it, shape it, sand it, bend it? How do you bend I, it? I bend it. In my studio, I have a kiln and I bend glass and shape it. And then I have all the cutting and polishing tools to finish a piece of glass. Yeah. So I do a lot of the cold working. Um, and my hot process is usually in the kiln where, the, where I'm either slumping or bending a piece of glass or fusing something together. Yeah. Um, and that's Those like really long, there's one fixture. It's actually on, uh, if you go to my blog, there's a, uh, I did a post about what's the, I call it the journal, not the blog, but there's a post that has this image, this like real drippy looking light, that one. Oh, right. A teardrop. Yeah, those teardrops. Did you form those or? No, I didn't make the teardrops. The teardrops are made by one of my close friends, Andy Stenerson. He's a glass artist in New York that I still do a lot of work with. Uh And uh, we developed a lot of things over the years. Is that floating in front of a mirror or just a really highly polished? It's highly polished. It's a mirror polished stainless steel. Do you, uh, you end up, I mean, that must double up that fixture in some way like do you see a reflection of all those droplets yes yeah, so a lot of the work that i was doing in new york had these really highly reflective finishes a lot of mirror polished stainless steel or polished yeah. chrome or nickel or brass so yeah I, I my work has a lot of that's probably one of the elements in my work that sort of defines or helps to define what i do i, I do a, i use a lot of reflection in things um so that's something I do still play around with, but I'm starting to change. I'm starting to evolve a little away from that. Away I still, from- I still do that. I still use reflection. Right. But I'm starting to understand that there's another quality to light that is really beautiful when it's shielded or when it's softened by a piece of glass or fabric mm-hmm. and you don't see the source. Right. And that's been, I've been sort of defiant about that. I've been sort <laughs> of like making light fixtures where you see the light bulb. And most of that, I think, comes from just seeing other people's work, a lot of European things. Light bulb, lighting fixtures in Europe are totally different than they are here. And in a way, the things that you see in other countries, they don't have the same restrictions that we do. So they do things that are more interesting or maybe a little different and and so a lot of times the structure is exposed or the light bulb is exposed the source is exposed yeah but it's it's done in such a way that it it's part of the craft and so a lot of my things that i'm drawn to have that same kind of structure or or they did anyway they i mean they still do i mean a lot of my work even the candle fixture it's just bare bones you know, it's a fixture that looks sort of like a wind chime and it has a light bulb at the top and the bottom of each tube or each chime. And it's very little moving parts, very little to it. It's very simple. It's very complicated in reality, but it's very simple in the way it looks. Mm-hmm. And it's all exposed. The light bulbs are exposed and the, the wire is exposed. And What kind of bulb is that in that fixture? It's, I use a little xenon, a little 5 or 10 watt xenon bulb, which is a very warm color. Uh, and it's an energy efficient low voltage lamp, but I'm starting to play around with, 
LEDs for that fixture. The LEDs are finally starting to, in my opinion, finally starting to become a quality source. For the longest time, the color was really weird. The color still is weird in some cases, but then the next obstacle was the dimming element of them, and now they're starting to get that down. And yeah. and actually, the newest versions of LEDs have a high color rendering index, which is really the main the main thing about lighting for us is how that artificial light source replicates color and how we see it, how we perceive it. So the sun, just to give you the basic sort of analogy of how that works, is the sun is 100% of vis our visual spectrum. We see 100% of that spectrum. Yeah. Artificial light doesn't give us 100, necessarily give us 100% of it, but it also shifts in a tone in a temperature realm, whether it's warm or cool. Yeah. So what's up with the, what's up with like a, a really shitty light in the subway? In the, in, well, like in the, the bathroom scenario, in the bathroom of a gas station where yeah. you like, oh my god, you look exactly. in the mirror and you're like, well, the, that's that's <laughs> God, it. I'm really ugly. Yeah, the worst example would be the your you know the fluorescent tube of of your in your garage. Yeah. That has been there for 20 years. You know, it's a cool white. It's a very cool color temperature, so it's in the the white area, but bordering on blue in terms of color temperature. But then the color like rendering is in the in the 80s or lower, which means it's only giving you a part of that spectrum, yeah. which translates to making your skin look green. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you don't look very good. You don't look healthy. Uh -uh. And the way they used to do, I mean, before LEDs, things are changing radically all the time. But the other great example of how you could manipulate light or use light to have an effect on something, what you used to see in the supermarket was in the meat department, there was a fluorescent light fixture that had a tube that was leaning towards the red spectrum. So all the meat looked really healthy and... <laughs> just you know super beautiful marbled and then in the vegetable section where all the greens were they had a light bulb that shifted the green side yeah so when you took your piece of meat over to the vegetable section it looked totally different wow yeah and there there's always there's been different usages of color temperatures in commercial spaces a lot um so that stuff still happens. There still are ways of manipulating light to have something be enhanced. I mean, that's really what we're doing with lighting is we're trying to, we're trying to light a space purposefully. Right. But also with my work, I'm trying to create a certain quantity of light that actually gives the light the functionality that I feel it needs. But I'm also trying to create an effect, a quality of light that people feel good in or that transforms the space with shadow or reflection or color maybe sometimes so for me it's the the way my work has evolved coming from the practical side of being an electrician it has to work <laughs> functionally like functionally it needs to illuminate and then the lighting design world of it needs to actually change uh, the way you feel well, it has, you have to interact with it. It's a quality of light. Yeah. Um, and then the third step for my development or my life as a lighting person is the craft that's involved with making it. 
And that's really the main thing that, you know, one of the main things that I learned from Michael, his working with him and, and seeing his creative process and learning and, and seeing how he puts things together and he solves problems in this really beautiful way was really, I was really fortunate to work with somebody that had a really unique point of view that was very good at what he does. Is he still in, in he's, business? Yes, he's still alive and kicking and doing very well. He's, where, where at? He's in Berkeley now, but he's still in the Bay Area. He's His business has grown very well, and he's he's um, doing very, very well in projects all over the world. Wow. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just exciting to see the new things that he's constantly Does he ever farm stuff out to you? We... N- once in a while, rarely, because um, my studio space has machine tools that he doesn't have. Um, so, I mean, not very, very, very rarely have I made things for him. But once in a while. But we still, we're still really close friends, and he's still a mentor to me in a lot of different ways. And we still, I, I just saw him actually a week ago. And we still have the same energy of like, oh, check this out, look at this thing I'm doing, or oh yeah we were making some casting glass and came up with this issue and you know we talk a lot about process and, yeah. and we often will share with each other our own discoveries about certain things that we do together we both I kind of I've kind of tease him that I I think that we both are actually glass artists mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> because a lot of what we do involves glass and lighting I mean we are lighting people I, I mean our true our true uh, direction is lighting, but we do a lot of things with glass, and he does really incredible things with glass that no one ever does. He's a leader in in the lighting world, and also just in general with craft and, and glass. And he's always been somebody that thinks outside the box, and he, he's actually taught me a lot about not letting fear get in your way. Yeah, because he's always been able to push through whatever it was to get where he wanted yeah and that's very inspiring that's to me. awesome yeah very cool um, but he's somebody to look up McEwen lighting studio definitely how, how do you spell it mc capital e-w-e-n McEwen lighting does studio. he go to like uh icf and stuff in new york he or, started or icff he started um in a show many years ago but now he's got he's got showroom representation all yeah. over the country, so he doesn't do that right. so much anymore. Right. Um, but he to. but he likes to go and see, of course. Sure. And um, have you? Do you? Uh, I don't know. As far as light as a medium, and is there any um, like? I was talking to Ryan McCurley about how, and we both were geeking out on how we after we've done what we've done in our within our respective mediums for long enough to have a really deep relationship with uh wood or clay like mm-hmm. i know it super well yes like i know what's going to what it's gonna i can do. look at a board across a room laying on a table and tell you so much about it right. like i can tell you so much information i can see the way it's been i can see how mm-hmm. there's this intuitive sense of how it wants to get planed or how it wants to get joined and just pass so many pieces and of what wood you'll do with it through a table saw past so many so many you know so many thousands and thousands of times that it's just this real flow the way that i move with wood and with my machines is there do you have a similar kind of connection with lighting and with light itself and 
it's, since it is more ephemeral, that might be harder in a way. I could see that that's, you know. Well. But is there some sense that you have for it? And is there some way that, some insight or something you've come to understand about light in a way that might, I don't know, be interesting or surprising? Well, I think, I think all of us, we all, the longer we do something, the better we are able to understand how to use it and what to get out of it and how to respond to it, whatever the material is. Yeah, you learn little tricks. Well, you just, it's part of that discovery process of like, well, what if I do this? And sometimes, you know, it doesn't work. Yeah, right. (laughs) Or sometimes you're like completely surprised at what you discover by asking that question, what do I do this? Yeah. So I've been working with light long enough so that I have a real sensitivity towards light, the quality of light, a quantity of light. Like when I go into a space, if I'm involved in a project, I mean, the best case scenario is if I, if I get invited to the space before it's finished or, you know, in the process of being built and I get a sense of scale and I get a sense of what they're, what the architect's doing, what the designer is trying to do. And and they share with me their storyboards and, and their vision. And then I have something to, respond to but but in the seeing of the space and having an understanding of how I want the fixture to perform that's really where it starts for me is what's the quality of light how much light do I want to give this space yeah and what's the quality of that light and then in the course of answering those questions then I kind of that informs me well how am I going to do that And then that whole process of those questions starts to happen. Like, well, if the space has got a really high ceiling and I want to bring that giant ceiling down to create intimacy over a table, then the fixture has to do that. It has to somehow lower the ceiling plane so that when you're sitting at that table, you feel intimate. You don't feel lost in space. Right. This is for some reason I'm I'm having a, uh, a memory from an early learning I had around architecture and building. Um, there was this sort of term architectural fart. And I don't know if that's really a term or not, but it was this idea that like, and in like uh, sometimes there can be something that is completely unnecessary, like an element within a house is just false, serves no purpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, it's sort of this silly like thing grafted onto something you know you might say that there's some aspects of that on the outsides of buildings sometimes that are just like purely like decorative or whatever i think it can exist in any part of the building to me it sort of is like the question of is that an afterthought right and like does it serve a purpose is it really doing anything or it's just this thing does it's kind of dumb it's not really good in an architectural sense it's just like this added thing that's not really serving the Mm -hmm. has no purpose it's sort of silly it's like an architectural fart is what it would call. And so it, that, it's dawning on me that that might could, I could see how that could play out in lighting sometimes. Like, Oh yeah. Because it, it's purely I mean, like it's, a bobble. It's almost like a cross well, between jewelry <laughs> sometimes. Well, like it's it just is. This it's jewelry for architecture. I mean, it can be, it depends on what it's, it depends on what the intention is, you know? So is there ever a place in your mind where you uh, judge or, or critical about lighting? Cause it's like too much jewelry oh, and not enough. I'm, not I'm a purist. I, I believe the fixture should be in harmony with both the interior and the architecture. It actually, for me, for me, when I feel like I've done my job well, 
the fixture actually marries the two things. It helps to create a dialogue between them, the architecture and the interior design, because they're not always the same. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're very different. But the lighting is an opportunity to tie those things together and create an element that bridges that gap. Not only visually, but if the space has volume or if it's a staircase or if there's some element that needs to be adjusted with scale, uh-huh. lighting is another opportunity for that. Plus, there's a transition from daylight to night and the fixture during the day not being lit or at a certain level has a certain look. And then at night it completely changes and yeah. it, you know becomes alive there's this cool aspect to one of the um the fixture i'm working on with adele where we're we're excited about what it's going to look like when it's just off, off yeah and uh, and then it totally transforms when it's on right and so we're putting a seconds timer on it so that it will rotate throughout the oh, show it'll, it'll be, be on off. for five seconds or for like five minutes and then uh-huh. on for five minutes and off for five yeah minutes. no i think that's interesting i think for me with you know that's where the craft comes in and you know when the fixture's not on it has its own presence yeah you know but um yeah i think you know to to or to go a little further what what you were saying about the fart it's sort <laughs> of is to me it's the it's all about editing and i think um Editing out what's not necessary. Yeah, and I think that comes from a confidence level. Sure. I think the designers and the artists that are really confident with themselves realize that embellishment isn't necessary for the sake of embellishment. You know what I mean? It's like... Or it can work, but sometimes... Just whether something works or not. Well, that's just it. Yeah. And, And I think that the more confidence you have with that, you realize that you may not need that little extra thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I try to I try to reduce I'm constantly editing my process. I mean, I drive myself crazy and sometimes my assistant's crazy with like being halfway down the road and saying, "Okay, I'm going to turn here. <laughs> we need to make a correction <laughs> because yeah. I'm realizing that something isn't quite right." And yeah. I may not necessarily know or I have identified it, but there again, I think it's coming from an intuitive place of yeah. like yeah, there's something that doesn't feel right here. Let's make a shift or let's do something a little different. Or How do you take the, the I'm pretty sure it's a Lake Corbusier saying, uh, form follows function. I've always been fascinated by that because um, I feel like that's become a little bit of a overused, cliched phrase in the last 15 years. And um, I was curious if you... How I how I look at that statement? Well, because I, I, sometimes I could like, because no one's ever explained it to me because I didn't go to architecture school. Oh, well, I didn't but either, like, but. but I always, I first I remember thinking, oh, well, I think I know what that means. And now I'm like, well, wait a minute, maybe it means this. Like, I think it actually can have a couple of different layers. Like, it can mean form, the function should follow the form. Like, as in, like, no, the form of it, form follows, like, something should be functional. And then the function of it Dictates, is, the, dictates form. the form. Yeah, I think that's what they mean. But, but or, that was also or, or does form yeah. come after function? Like well, function is I'm, first. I, mean, I think you're saying the same thing, but you're approaching it from two different points of view. Yeah. Ultimately, you're you're saying that form is still the leading element. 
No, or no, function. I mean, I'm function. sorry. Yeah. No, I got that wrong. Sorry. <laughs> function is the leading element followed by form. Yeah. But, but I mean, that, that is true. There's a, it's a subtle difference, but it is kind of a difference, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think that was really just a, an ideology that he was going against, going against function. nature and going against other, other decorative ideas that were happening at the time. Yeah. A separation from Art Nouveau and, and those other things that were really kind of relating to nature, the world of nature where form, actually, I think we would find that form still follows function in nature, but we don't recognize that functionality. Yeah. We see that it's just the form of it. But, but it all, but, but all those patterns, the mental bot spiral thing, I mean, everything in nature has a function. Yeah, totally. To, to a degree that's way beyond our comprehension. So even though, uh, you know, that, that egoistic viewpoint was trying to change a direction, it really still mirrored the idea that that's form, a great point. That's fun- form follows function and nature is the greatest example of that. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, uh, I mean, that would be, um, you know, Darwinism, I guess it is, it's in a sense, the, the, in a way, yeah. I the, mean, selective. Yeah. Uh, natural selection natural is selection. the greatest, like, it, 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 uh, well, the function, if it supersedes. doesn't work, then it goes yeah. away. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. If the function doesn't, Li- life follows doesn't function. <laughs> you either function or you die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just, we're just on the, at the beginning understandings of, of what that really means. I mean, just in terms of our, even our own gut bacteria, <laughs> like there's just so many complex structures that we have no understanding of. And, but there are, there are structures like the human brain, the brain, that too. Um, has oh. there been any, I, I feel like you may have brushed up against this, but I'm curious to hear about, um, specific, maybe evolutions in the way that you view your work or you view, you know, there are things that I used to think were so important earlier in my career that now I could care less about mm-hmm. ways that I find in, like what's important to me about expressing myself and why I'm doing what I do and that kind of stuff. Like what, what, you know, anything yes. that you can speak to around that? Absolutely. That was sort of where I was going when I was beginning to say like how this new chapter in my life here in Texas has really started a new chapter of of re-engaging my creative side and and again this is something that you've helped me to see Brian you helped mm-hmm. me to see that my work is unique and it has energy and it took me a, hearing it from someone else to realize that there is something to that idea I've become I had become so much a part of just working to satisfy the the need or whatever it was that I forgot about the meaning behind the work. You know, I just Mm. was churning out hundreds of light fixtures and that's okay. But I really was feeling like I was missing something Mm. and I wasn't enjoying my life. I wasn't enjoying my creative side. It just became a job. Yeah. And it wasn't until I moved here and started, I mean, I, I really did move here with this intention of changing everything about my life and being, being mindful and having a new intention about what that looks like on all levels of, of myself. But mostly I focused on what that looked like for my creativity and my work. And 
Recently, I've changed the way I view my work. It's not work anymore. It's the creative life that I want to live. Mm-hmm. I have. It's my happy place. You know, my studio isn't my shop anymore. It's my studio. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. the place that I have the ability to do the things that I want to do, and people support me in the doing of it. Which and, is so cool. Which is incredible. I mean, I really feel blessed that I've had all of the opportunities that I have and met the people that believe in me and support me and love me and yeah. continue to to ask me to be involved in things. I mean, it's just incredible. But Well, I was talking to Dylan the other day, and I think you can relate to this. Maybe this um, – and I don't even think I'm near – I don't know if I'm – I don't think I'm quite where you are in this level, but maybe or maybe not. I don't know. Um, but it's this, I'm starting to feel like my career and my work, I put enough into it at a long enough period that it's become pretty robust in a way that mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to just sort of juice it for, I don't know. Like I just know a lot of people and a lot of things. And like, if something's, if it, I'm feeling like there's something slow real quick, like I can just change that or whatever. There's just, there's so many money trees to sort of shake and so many, not even that I have to do that so much, but there's just, I've created so much opportunity in my career because I've worked so fucking hard and I know so many people now that it's just become this thing that's almost self-perpetuating and fruitful on its own. And I don't have to worry so much about. Well, I think that stuff just kind of shows up because yeah, I've put so much into it. Right. Well, I think there it's, absolutely is the reality that you've worked hard to get where you are we've worked hard i've worked hard to get where i am and there is an investment of energy and time and commitment and blood and sweat and tears and that's a real tangible thing that we can look at you know sacrificed a lot for sacrifices yes um so there's like a real there's a real tangible element to that um and through that, there's also this other side, though, that in the living of all of that, we've strengthened, we've become stronger, we've become confident, we've become good at what we do, and people actually rely on us to do the thing that we do for them because they're asking us to, you know, whether it's a direct commission or whether it's something they're just responding to that we've made, Yeah, they're responding to the thing that we've done. Mm-hmm. And... I think uh, in some weird way, I think it's it's interesting. Like ha- not having gone to art school, I feel like I feel I feel like my path. I've been really fortunate with my path, and I've met some really critical key people that have opened doors and and shown me parts of myself that I had difficulty or n- no ability to see for myself. And with that sponsorship and that that care, really helped me transcend who I might have been otherwise yeah and uh but so there's just this development that happens and and now we're kind of like you just said earlier about being able to look at a board from across the room and know what it what what it is and how to do it and what to expect and you know i think there's there's this confidence or this there's this knowing i think it's more knowing than it is confidence because confidence is something that can be shaken, but you can never unknow something, right? Like when yeah. you when you have it, when you know something. Until you get inside, dementia. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, but I don't know how that pertains at the moment. Uh, 
but you know what I'm saying is this feeling of knowing, uh-huh. having a knowing, yeah, inside you. And I think that hopefully we all get to that place with our work where it's less about the insecurity of it and more about the knowing of it. Yeah, right. And that, I think, still kind of goes back to the idea of the path of least resistance and allowing things to flow. Because in that flowing moment, you really are embracing the knowing of something, regardless of whether or not there's any reason to or there's proof of it. You just know it. Right. So All that collective... Uh all the work you've done yeah, has created the, the a collective, collective of uh, everything you've put into it, plus the energy around you and the other, your peers and people that you respond to and and uh, resonate with. And those all those experiences add up to uh, a knowing that you should trust because um, it's chances are if you just trust it, you're probably it's probably right because. <laughs> It seems that way. It's tied to a, like a bunch of things that have informed it. Well, we it's it's interesting. I think it's really there's a lot of truth in that. If we just give, if we just surrender, because I think everyone, all of us as artists, we go through that phase where, in the initial phase of starting out and having to come to grips with this idea of like, oh, I got to go through this development process that's challenging. Yeah. You know, the whole process of first of all, trying to identify who I am. And that's actually the interesting thing, the most interesting thing about where I am in this chapter of my life. Because I've been working for other people and a lot of my work revolves or is including other people's work, oftentimes I'm giving a part of myself that I think they're going to respond to. So I haven't actually lived a completely free spirit yet. (laughs) You know, because I've often been still influenced by fear Mm -hmm. and oh well maybe i should not be so out there and maybe i should be more conservative and maybe i should follow their lead and maybe i should make decisions that might make this happen more easily yeah i'm doing less and less of that actually that's my new mantra i don't actually i'm not doing that anymore i'm doing all the things that i want to do for myself with the intention that by doing that, it's going to propel me further, and I'm actually going to have a much greater experience, which ultimately leads to no, no resistance, yeah, a greater understanding of self and expression. And through that, I think I actually will have a larger audience base, mm-hmm. a, new, a new supportive element. Yeah. So that's kind of it's where it's worth I'm, a shot. Yeah, I mean, what have I got to lose? <laughs> you know, I mean, what about, uh, do you feel like uh, the, I think I've gotten um, you said something that made me think about my own the growth around my ability to make decisions and have an intuitive sense of what I should or shouldn't do mm-hmm. has gotten really sharp in recent years. Where like I start to like ask Dylan or somebody else like well, what do you think or like and then I'm like why am I asking them I already know like I know what I want to do mm-hmm. like I can take almost any decision if I just close my eyes and hold it in my center and like I can just it's like a scale and it's like it's really clear it's almost always clear whether I want to admit it or not <laughs> or whether well, I want some, to. yeah that's the interesting thing is sometimes you get an answer that you weren't expecting. It's like, like, no, I really don't want to do it's this. It's counterintuitive. Or, or no, I really want to, you know, like, no, I really don't want to have dinner with whoever this person. Or, or I don't want to go yeah. to this music thing. I'm, I'm doing it for the wrong reasons right now. Yeah. 
and I, I want us to just stay home. <laughs> you know, right, like, and and that and, and that feel- listening to that true self, that's the thing that I'm bringing back into my work. I mean, now as I'm working, you know, I've got maybe four projects going at once, and I may work on one piece for a little while while I have the energy for it or while it feels good, but then I'll reach a point where I can't make a decision and I'll walk away from it. Yeah. And I'll be okay with, I'll surrender to the idea that I don't have the answer to that. Right. And I'm not feeling it and I'm not going to force it. Yeah. Instead, I'm just, man, I don't, I don't, in most designs now, I, I will not settle. Like it has yeah, to Yeah, I don't feel, want to settle either. I don't want to compromise what I don't my ever, vision is. Because if I just keep chewing on it, mm-hmm. eventually I hit the thing like, oh, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like it's super clear. But sometimes yeah, it's frustrating getting through that. that to get it. Yeah, I mean, um, well, oftentimes with our work, we have to, you know, meet a deadline or there's like there's a, requ- a requirement of yeah. some sort that right, right. at some point, for me, it's a little helpful because it, makes me make a decision but i'm also recognizing that i don't necessarily have to have a fire under my ass to make a decision i can also just let go and surrender to it and the decision comes a lot easier Mm -hmm. and maybe even in a way that is more natural i don't know i'm exploring more and more of that but i'm but i'm really within my my process now of viewing my work as fun and something i enjoy and and it's a pleasure I'm really trying to maintain that place of giving the energy that I have to something when it's there, but realizing when it's not, that's okay too. Because mm-hmm. there's something else over there on the other table that maybe <laughs> I can work on. Yeah. And you know, and there's those days also where I just realize that, you know, there's nothing in here that's doing it for me. <laughs> Gotta take a step out. Yeah. <laughs> Go for or a just swim. like some days just are crummy days. Yeah, some days okay. are just hard. You some days you are know, like we don't have a faucet. I mean, uh, even those of us that are really prolific, there's not a faucet that we can turn on. Yeah. And I find the times that I'm more pressured to actually deliver, it f- that faucet it just comes to a it doesn't even drip. So yeah. uh, you know the letting go and the the surrendering, it's a big theme in my life right now, and I think it's it's helping me to have a new relationship with my creative side and the work that I'm doing and enjoying it on a much deeper level. And the thing that I find, what I, what I really have noticed over time, and maybe there's something like that you can add to this, that it seems like, and maybe this is just my own imagination, but the work that I've had where I've, where everything has just been flowing and I've enjoyed the process. I think people respond to that energy and that work on a higher level than if I struggle through something. It's almost like there's a signature, like there's an energy signature. No, totally. Something, you know, like, like, I mean, I have touched other people's work and felt some kind of energy from it, like had a response to something. And I just wonder like, or I've witnessed certain reactions to things have been based on seemingly the kind of mindset or the type of energy that I was carrying at the time that I was making it. I think, you know, I think I've I've thought about that before for sure, but I think one aspect of it might be um, the one that's most critical is that I gave a shit. 
Well, yeah. Because quite honestly, it's not everything. If you like, don't I give just a shit, did it. that read that totally reads. Well, and or which I that's pretty rare for me. Like almost never. Right. I everything. I mean, I'm not, I'm not bragging. It's just the way I'm yeah, wired. No, like exactly. I can't help but like give way probably way too much where it's not healthy. But like this, I just did this 14 foot long thing, this replica of Galveston Island for Texas A and M, and it was this giant. Uh, yeah, it was a Galveston Island r- rendered <laughs> on a piece of MDF that I coated in resin and made. In, it was for Texas A&M, so it was maroon. And she told me that I weaved a little bit of white into it. And we were sanding it, and like Pablo was like, this looks like a giant, a giant piece of fajita meat. <laughs> and I couldn't see it as anything other than that the rest of the time. And it was just like, because it just looked like the white looked like marbling, and it uh-huh, just was like right. maroon and yeah. like... It was just, it was, it, in the context of it, it was for this commercial installation and right. for this big kind of signage thing. And and I was just like, I mean, I'm doing what they said to do, yeah. but I was so, right. got so in my head about it. I did not feel good when it left here. Well, yeah, we all have projects And they like, like loved it. They were like, it's a, it was amazing. And well, I'm like. You satisfied what but they I think, were looking so for. I wasn't feeling great about it, but I was, I did care. I certainly cared about it. And I think that's kind of the important part, you know, because yeah. sometimes we get so close to our work. At least I know I do. I, I'm, it's so in my face. I kind of lose perspective and I can't tell anymore. I'm Absolutely. just like, I don't, is this good? <laughs> well, I think that's true, especially when the project is something that takes months yeah. to, you know, come to completion. But then certain things you just look at and you're like, oh no, this is awesome this is amazing i love this well, that, yeah. that's pretty rare but i love when that happens you know the pit the piece that we yeah, made right yeah the, that I, thing i totally was just like this is cool as shit i loved it we yeah, did I mark and i did a we did a uh a, 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 a really cool lighting fixture for comey and so if you've never been to comey restaurant you should well, go I, I just helped on the most minimal yeah but you were side of it definitely um very just helped you with it yeah and, and we are doing a reprise of that piece for the secret, I mean, uh, excuse me, for the uh, ground light sound. So, and, um, well, Roger Foster played a crucial role. He was the third uh, artist, which I actually want to put him in the, um, on the card in some way or want to make, because, yeah, I mean, played a huge role in shaping those pieces of wood. But it's, you know, it's like found object. Yeah, uh, he definitely Put his, well, for me his to utilize it, into it too. and to see the beauty in it, and then turn it into something else. I don't feel right. Like it. it was seeing. It was you were responding to it. Mm-hmm. I responded to it the same way. I just thought it was a beautiful thing. The avocado. Do you uh, do you have a favorite piece of all time, or one of your what's one of your tops? I know you did some really amazing stuff for some big places in New York. Is there anything that? What's that one chandelier that looked like a antler kind of? It's like I saw something, or no, not ant, like a tree. Looked oh, like a, a bunch tree. of branches or something. That was that was interesting. I, I did this really large, 13, 14, 15 foot long, or wide tree reaching across the, this table, suspended from the ceiling or coming out of the ceiling. That was one of those projects where the designer had this idea, sort of a direction, and I ran with it, and. Um, It was interesting. It was fun. I think it was, it's a very unusual thing, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I think I... I mean, it's amazing looking. I think I did... What, who was that for? 
It was for a designer in New York. It was a residential. It was actually this really... looks like a boardroom or something. It's their, yeah, it's their little summer weekend getaway home in upstate New York. Uh, yeah, 30-foot marble dining room table. What's the, the actual tree part made out of? The tree is made out of steel. It's all forged steel with silver leaf. Wow. 300 crystals. I wish it was on your website. Maybe someday it'll be on there. <laughs> I'm in the process of working on that right now. But, uh, yeah, maybe I'll put it up there. True Illumination, Figueredo says, is a dialogue between the quality of the light, its fixture, and the architecture of a space. But everything really starts with the bulb. Pretty much for me, it That's does, a quote it does for... come down to what I'm going to use as the source. What's your favorite bulb these days? I use a, this little xenon bulb a lot. Why do you like that? Because of the warmth. Because it's small. The... First of all, it's really small. Um, it's got a really beautiful color, so it's very warm. It looks really sexy when it's dimmed. It's, it's super, not LED. It's not an LED. I really hate LEDs, yeah. honestly. I think. I really, I don't know if it's just me being an old schooler, incandescent lighting guy from the past, but I really think LEDs are a problem for us. <laughs> they have a frequency. Well, but you just said earlier color. that you're like warming up to them. I'm starting to, well, that's because the technology is getting better. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not better than the equivalents of things out there that are superior. It's just getting better. So... But the, the lamp that I use a lot is a xenon. It's a gas. It's a warm gas. It, um, it's very small. Has it lasted a really long time? It's got a long life. Um, and Like um, how long? What do those, one of those little bulbs last? Uh, anywhere from 10 to 20,000 hours, which is not as long. Well, it's comparable to a LED. But the nice thing about it is that the color doesn't shift. It dims beautifully doesn't get that hot the quality of the light is really nice it's very warm it's really good for your flesh tones you look good under it, mm -hmm. in it. um so i use that a lot sounds cool xenon <laughs> kx2000 yeah no it has a cool name um i use that a lot that's probably the that there are a family of bulbs or lamps that i use that are of that same technology. Right, that's right. In, in fancy lighting designer um, the world, you call it a lamp. You don't call it a bulb. Right. right, in the lighting world, we call it a lamp. It's not a bulb. It's a lamp. What's your, uh, what's your favorite thing about being a professional maker designer other than being able to call a bulb a lamp? <laughs> Actually, the thing that I'm really starting to... to um, like uh, i'm sort of it's interesting i've kind of been going back and forth on this topic but i'm actually really starting to enjoy the interaction that i have with my clients more and i'm really liking the opportunities that i have to travel with my work and go to places mm -hmm. i really like i mean sometimes the installations that i do are just really incredibly difficult and having to drive across the country to take you know a big giant thing in pieces to a place and then put it together it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely engages, you know, all my worst fears. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> you know, is it going to work? Are we going to make it in one piece? Is the car going to flip over? <laughs> you know, yeah, right. all those things of like, you know, it's, it's like the whole emotional experience comes to a head in that moment. Um, but the thing is when it's all done and I actually get to see what I've developed and designed and made for the space as a finished product, that's the part I'm really liking being able to see the thing actually in the dark, right? Lit up. <laughs> How does it work? Cause a lot of times I make things and I ship them off and I don't get to see how well they do the job. I hear, I hear you can see pictures. Yeah, I see pictures. Pictures are never good, but but I usually hear, you know, the update from the client about. Yeah, they're hard to lot. They're really hard to photograph. I mean, I I just don't feel like we've got any photographs of that. Yeah, it's really a tricky process. You have to do multiple exposures and overlay them, and you can't just photograph a light source. Yeah, it's it terrible. just doesn't doesn't work. You have to take multiple exposures and Photoshop magic the shit out of it and do a timed exposure. It's really an art to photographing architecture, but also lighting in architecture. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's really hard to light, to photograph jewelry too, because of the reflections and the way light bounces off of it. Yeah. It's really tricky. It's like an art. Unto Unless itself. it's wood jewelry. It's easy then. Well, that's probably still tricky. Trying not to get <laughs> shadows and things, but there's not, you don't have reflections to deal with. Right. What's your least favorite thing about what you do for a living? Now that I know you're Mr. Positive and you don't want to focus no, there, on that. No, I'm sure there's something. Let me, let me dig around. Or what, maybe not the least, but what's, some, what's the, one of the most challenging aspects of being a self-employed maker of fine things? Mm. That's, that's becoming harder to answer, actually. I could have answered that a lot easier like <laughs> five years ago. <laughs> I could have given you a list. But a lot of those things I've let go of, and I don't have that same interaction. Right. Because um, it would have been like not knowing where the next. It would have been batch a number of, of things. Yeah, feeling like feeling like I was running around putting out fires more than I was doing my job. Actually, that's that's still the thing that I. Actually, my biggest challenge with what I do now is. Probably the honest truth is I probably spend twenty twenty five percent of my time actually making something. Yeah. The other 75, 80% goes to running a business Hallelujah. and getting work. Oh, man. Getting the work, getting paid, doing all the things that are necessary to run it and make it happen and, you know, advertise and... Ugh. Answer so, emails. Yeah, it's all the hats. Yeah. That's the thing I hate the most. Like, when I... It's really naive, but when I started my business, I wanted to just make lighting and I was going to become a lighting maker and that was that. Nobody told me I had to run a business and figure out how to do that and do the paperwork and do the accounting and do all the other things that are in the daily routine. Yeah. But I'm starting to find peace with that. I'm actually, I'm actually at a place now where I'm realizing that I need to focus my energy on the things that I want to do and let other people do the things that I don't. Yeah. Because they'll be better at it than I am anyway. Or like somebody, uh, somebody's mom... Actually told them this. Another friend of mine who's a maker. She, her, their, her parents are an architect, and she was like, "Let people, um, if it's something that someone else can do, let them do it. Let them do it. Absolutely. You need to only do the things that only you can do. Right. And that's 
That's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, true. Because, <laughs> yeah, if I was a control freak. Well, there's the control freak aspect of it, but there's also, like, you know, the monetary chain that's involved with being able to have that be a service that you can, right. you know, yeah. afford Where, or that you can have happen. But how, when, it, and when and when not to apply pressure to the uh, labor expenditure gas pedal. <laughs> it's yeah. like time to pedal to the metal. Oh, wait, I got to take my foot off of here right because neither of us have like full-time 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 people yeah i did i did years ago but i've i've tapered back i'm kind of like reevaluating my process and i'm relying on outside sources outside artisans craftspeople or companies that have greater technology greater capabilities than i do so most of what i'm doing still is designing i still love i still make I still make 90% of what goes out my door in some way. I've put my hand into it. Um, so it mostly still is my work, but I do really rely on a lot of other people, glass artists, glass blowers, my friend Andy, um, just other, there's just a, a handful of people that, more than a handful of people that I rely on for a lot of things that, that I can't do and they do better. and. And that, you know, that interaction, that those relationships are really key. And I feel grateful to have had, to have those relationships and to keep them and grow with them. Mm -hmm. And I want to do that more in the future. That's really where I want to go is I want to, I want to get to that place where I'm doing what I want to do, doing the things that I want to do, having other people do the things that I'm not so interested in and follow the energy that leads me to that next level of interest and and um inspiration mm -hmm. so we've talked about that too like the idea of having inspiration pull you or draw you towards something versus versus having ambition or or um What's the right word? You remember that conversation we had? Uh, I don't know. We've had so many of them. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, that's true. They're all kind of dedication, or you know, forcing something to happen. Momentum. Mm -hmm. It seems like all those things come from behind you, and they push you forward. Yeah. Versus being drawn to something sort of magnetically, or carrot of the stick. Carrot. Yeah, that's right. The carrot <laughs> of the stick. But I'm I'm really trying to just focus on having inspiration be the thing that pulls me. Yeah. Instead of my motivation and drive being the thing that pushes me. Right. And that's, I'm finding that's been working really well. I think I shared with you about, like, I had this, um, there was a, uh, I don't know, it was a few months ago. I think it was in the spring. I was in Houston, and I was doing a art festival there. And in the middle of the night at the Airbnb, I just couldn't sleep. And I had this really in I don't know, I got in this state of consciousness where I was really just thinking deeply about my life and this question bubbled up, which was like, why do you do what you do? <laughs> like, you need to find the answer to that. You need to explore this. This would be very good for you to explore. Why Why do you question. do what you do? What, and, what, and, and what do you want to get out of it? Was the other part. And they can, they're very linked. But, and I don't know, if, I'm not asking you to answer that because that's a pretty deep question, or unless you have something you can speak to, but I, it, I like thinking about that. I think that's something that I'm starting to reach for 
an understanding about. I, I don't know that I never, I, I wasn't never really aware of that question before. I just did what I did yeah. without giving too much thought to it because I didn't have anything else to do or didn't want to do anything else. Yeah. Didn't want to work for somebody else. I knew that. Yeah. Um, that was the main driving force was I was tired of working for other people or, or just, you know, wanted to do my own thing really. That's really what it was mostly is just listening to the intuition of knowing that I wanted to do something for myself. Yeah. It really wasn't so much that I didn't want to work for other people. I just wanted to do for myself. But, but I never really gave thought to the reason why. You know, that wasn't clear to me. And, and neither was the path of what that looked like. That really yeah. wasn't clear to me either. And even now, you know, I, I know where I've been only by looking behind me at the path that I've left or that I've already walked. I don't know what's in front of me. I'd like to think that I can do a number of things and not just be a lighting person. I think I will still work primarily in lighting, but there's a lot of other things that I want to explore. Yeah. Um, so for me, the next step is really just opening a, an opportunity to do just that, to explore it Yeah. and have that willingness and that I'm really trying to find, come back to this, this place that I had when I was younger where I was just a free spirit and I was willing to try or do anything that I wanted without the, what about this scenario or the, you know, the doubt or the fear or the reasons yeah. why yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get back to that or I'm finding, I'm finding my way back to that place of, that's not a question that's necessary to ask, Yeah. but why, why not? Why not just open yourself to an experience and see what happens? Sure. And yeah, it could be scary. Cool. But could, yeah, that's what I was speaking to at the beginning of the conversation. That's I feel yeah. like it's so much cool stuff has come out of that. Yeah, everything that you've done with with <laughs> everything you were talking about, even even the things that you're going through right now. I mean, I think there's a lot of we've often talked about uh, how we share a lot of commonality with one another and what we are going through in our lives and the the paths seem to be similar we may not necessarily be on the same path but we're on a we're each on a path that's paralleling the other person mm -hmm. to some degree you know mirror each other a lot we do mirror each other a lot and so that's really interesting to see but i'm you know you're in this place where a lot of this new energy that you're focusing on has this much greater potential yeah and i mean it's cool it's this, doing this project exciting. i'm like man i can incorporate this into other work in the future oh, yeah. i can do There's other all kinds stuff. of things that you it's haven't super. even thought of yet yeah <laughs> that totally. will be there <laughs> as the wait a minute here's yeah. an aha moment right here you know um you were earlier just talking about um like why do we do what we do i think i had another uh just recently in denver i had another little glimpse of part of that because I was kind of thinking about how I get into this space, and I think you do this a little bit too, where we get really driven around. Um, we work very hard, and, and I feel like we're in some weird percentile of person that's willing to put himself through like <laughs> a, a pretty intense amount of physical uh, grueling effort to realize our um, sort of uh, to realize our, realize our vision and bring something to. Like, I'm going to finish this, and I'm just going to do it just the way that I want to do it, and it's going to be... I'm not going to stop until it's kind of perfect, and it's the mm -hmm. way that I want it to be. Right, the perfect. And I will pull an all-nighter or whatever. Like, I'm yeah, gonna, I'll do that too. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it happen. And I feel like 
um, for me, there was a sense of, I think in the, the house that I grew up in, uh, my house of origin, there was a sense of uh, dysfunction within that household that um, I didn't have control mm-hmm. over a lot of, like my father was, oh, yeah. you know, kind of totally was that. alcoholic and there was no, it was like I didn't have a lack of control. So as soon, I mean, as soon as I could get out of the house, and once I started getting into my own creative, I mean, there was projects early on where I would have all-nighters and I would get super into it and super just, it's like I'm super in love with being in control of this process and I'm going to, and nobody is going to stop me mm-hmm. and I'm in charge right. and I'm going to realize this vision fully. And it's like, because I never got to do that before because I wasn't, it was, everything was unexpected kind of anger bombs or whatever I had to deal with growing up. And not that it was just like, I didn't grow up in like an utterly dysfunctional, horrible situation, but it there was you know definitely not the greatest. And even though I seem pretty happy, I think there was like a lot of shit going on in the background. Um, and uh, so I don't know. I have, feel like that influences my, um, that need to yeah. be in control and to create on my own terms is very important. I, yeah, I think that's a part of that process. I think, and the reason I bring it up is I'm curious if that uh, resonates with you at all. Because it like does, it, it does resonate with me. I think, I think, um, I think similarly, um, the different jobs that I had, where I was working as an electrician, or you know, a landscaper, or in construction, or a furniture maker, all these different things, where I was working for other people, I was still putting my energy into the work because of the interest level but it really wasn't it really wasn't until I started working for myself that that uh, energy that I was putting in was like truly mine Mm -hmm. it's like there was a part of me that I always sort of held back like you know whenever I worked for another person I did what they asked me to do and I did it very well but I didn't always give them everything I had Right, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like, and I don't know. Maybe that sounds a little funny, but, but I don't know if anybody who does who works for other people. I think it's really hard. I mean, I don't know that it's healthy to give all of yourself to anything, or anyone. Even when, even when you're self-employed, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that. I mean, I think that's why we become you know workaholics when we give everything of ourselves to what we're doing, and our work defines us so entirely that there's no nothing else. That's not really living because we're more than that. Yeah. But I've lived that way. That's my existence in New York. I very much had a lifestyle that's, you know, atypical New York, fast pace, burn the candle at both ends, go, 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 go. And you get burned out. Yeah. So, but I do, I do, I do understand what you're saying about having that control I think that's mostly ego and my ego is softening. I mean, I used to be very OCD. I'm still OCD, but not nearly as bad as I used to be a control freak. I would ask somebody to do something and if they didn't do it the way I wanted them to do it, I would redo it. Mm -hmm. That's how crazy I used to be. That was, you know, another life ago. But thankfully working with other people and collaborating and having assistance and helpers and understanding where their point of view is or where they're coming from has lessened that the severity of that need to do it my way or the highway. Yeah, right. Because I've also recognized that sometimes people bring uh, a point of view that you just can't see. 
yourself. Yeah, or it doesn't doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's yeah, like, who cares? Or it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's the other thing too is coming to the coming to the realization that yeah, you want to do your best work and you want to give what you can to it, but again, you don't need to give all of yourself to it to mm. the point where you're exhausted or spent. And that's what I think you're t- describing. You and I have both. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've worked like 48 hours straight to get a job done because I wasn't willing to compromise or because the, you know, time ran out. I mean, my, my mentor Celeste, she would always say, go um, home, relax, go home, get some rest. No, she would always say work (laughs) expands to fill the time. So this concept that you have enough time, you never do. Yeah. There's never enough time. It's only the deadline that forces the thing to happen when it's supposed to. But even then, you have to sometimes work through incredible feats to get it done because work expands. It's an expansion. I think that's our big problem is we think of time as a linear element. And so somehow we think we can control time because it's linear, but it's really not linear. (laughs) It doesn't really travel in a straight line. And we don't have the ability to, to control time. All that we can control is the activities that we put within a constraint of time. Mm. And because that's an unknown and it's a variable that often changes and evolves as we work on it, it expands. Yeah. So sometimes it feels like time slows down. Well, I think that's, there definitely are those moments where we're in the zone and we're in our happy place. I think that's, that's the reason why we do what we do because we find those moments where the work is so engaging that, we look up at the clock and we're like, oh, shit, I forgot to eat. You know, oh, it's wow, it's like five hours later. Where did that go? Yeah. And it doesn't even matter where it went because where you were for that five-hour period of time was just fucking magic. Yeah. You were just so into it and you just were, you were feeling it and you had this experience. I mean, that's, <clears throat> I think, ultimately, if we were to try to answer that question, I think that's probably the thing that makes the most sense, why we do it. We do it for that. Or even just sometimes that can I can come back to those things and they can be um, just the very basic doing of something can be a real release. Like last night, I had to machine this part on a custom piece, piece that I'm working on. And I had to do this machining and fitting of this thing and, and hand sand it. And it was, a I don't know, it was just like I got really into th- just doing that. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. like, lately I'm juggling a million things in my brain, right. and I'm like, i got to make this call, blah, blah. And it was like, it felt, I, I just, and I had been resisting doing it for a day or two. It was sitting on my workbench. But all of a sudden I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fucking finish this. And then all of a sudden I'm doing it, I'm forcing myself to do it. And then it was sort of like when you start writing, and then the pen just starts flowing, and I'm just, like, doing it. And, then like, I got real into the doing it, and mm-hmm. it felt like a real surrender place, like... It just felt good to be able to not be thinking about a bunch of other shit. It was just like, just when I was sanding it, I was just like yeah. sanding it by hand. And I'm just like, I am pushing my hand across this wood. Right. And I'm like, I was just super in the moment. And God, it was relieving. And the thing is now done. Or I glued it up earlier. Mm-hmm. And it feels well, that, so when you can finish a process, that's always helpful. And, yeah. I, and I think, you know, like I said, I'm lucky if I spend 20, 25% of my time making something, but those, but that's the part of my job or what I do. There I said it again, the thing that I do that I enjoy the most. Yeah. So yeah, it could be 
drilling a hundred holes or polishing a hundred pieces of glass or you know sometimes it's just crazy what the numbers are but you get into that wit that rhythm and that flow and I I like that sort of meditative state of yeah I can make a hundred parts sure <laughs> if I'm especially if I'm not bothered by the phone or you know, distractions. That's really easy. But when I get disrupted and I have to restart my process, yeah. that's where it's really challenging. I've been leaving my phone out of the studio. I've been doing the same thing. I like put it on, on quiet mode or whatever while I'm at work or I'm at studio and not, I, don't, I don't even want to know. Yeah, I'll put it in the office. It's yeah. really not that important. Yeah. I hate fucking phones. <clears throat> like, why do we have them? <laughs> it's like, oh. There's such an interruption to our lives. It's not even funny. Yeah. So, That's anyway. a crazy part of the modern paradigm. But, man, this was fun. I so appreciate you, Mark. And I, I, I you love too. you, man. I and love I, you, too, man. And I, your friendship. and uh, This has been good. I, uh, yeah, man, I'm excited about this project and what you're going to do uh-huh. and what I'm going to do. Me, and, too. And... Uh, we got seven weeks. So oh boy. So ticking away. Yeah. But the thanks for glass. thanks for sitting down and thanks for uh being a good friend. I appreciate you. Oh yeah, you don't have to thank me for that. Well but thank I, you too. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk at you later. Ciao. Bye. Reach out your hands to the one.